Hello and welcome to Parade of Dicks. I am your host, Lucy Buttons, here with my co-producer, John L. Hello. Still <laughs> and a sexy And in the house today... What? Still a sexy voice. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> and we're doing it all via Zoom, so I'm here in my bedroom and we have a very special guest today, Maggie McMuffin. Welcome. Ooh. Maggie, I know... Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. You are in Seattle right now? Uh, Oakland. Oh, oh California. Oakland. Okay. What's in Oakland? Uh, this is where one of my partners lives, and they live in a big artist share warehouse. So when the sh- so when New York was about to go into shelter in place, I came here to shelter. Cool. Smart. So we're already, Smart. We New are- York is a shit show now. <laughs> we already yeah. started strong with... Uh, Follow-up questions. Uh, we're going to highlight one of the partners of said Maggie McMuffin. So see, starting in the episode strong. Well, yes, but we have lots of things to talk to Maggie about. So I know Maggie through performing. I think we met at a festival um, several years ago. Um, but Maggie is a burlesque performer and clown. Would you say clown as well? Yeah. Yeah. No. And um, tell everyone else everything else you do. Tell us a little um, bit about you. I am a classic millennial. I have so many side hustles. I am making custom porn right now from this, not my home, but my home now. Um, I have been a sex worker for almost 10 years. I am a performer. I am a script consultant. I teach medical students how to give breast pelvic exams. I, I occasionally pet sit. I do all sorts of things. <laughs> I am very, okay, so, I'm very impressed with the resume. Yes. Seems like my resume so, pales in comparison. You're doing custom porn right now because of the quarantine, correct? Yes. Okay. So what does that mean? What's custom porn? Um, how does someone order it? What do they ask for? Do you, are those people you have relationships with? Tell us about that. Uh, so I've only ever done like four hire porn before where a company or a producer would hire me and they'd be like, can you show up, do this thing, we'll pay you. And then you just go on your way and whatever happens to the content beyond that is up to them. I'm removed from it. With custom stuff, it's um, making your own clips, making photo packages. I finally got an OnlyFans, which... I'm sure everyone has been seeing notice of because everyone has gone in OnlyFans now. (laughs) And I've just been kind of like making more fetish content. I haven't really been feeling like making any paired content. I also only brought one sex toy with me from New York when I, when I, (laughs) fuck, how am I going to make porn now? Amazon. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't want to like get a bunch of toys and then have to take that. I guess I could leave. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've made some videos like with, with my hands. I recently, uh, shaved off almost all of my hair and I sold my hair to a lovely gentleman in England who found me from Reddit. He, um, he found my advertisement on Reddit and multiple people have bought the video of me just naked in a kitchen and my partner is shaving my hair off dope, dope. that's wonderful and what other kinds that, of are they specific fetishes that people are requesting yeah 
So I did not realize how big the head shaving thing is. All I've been doing is on my selfies now. I added hashtag Chelsea cut and I've had so many people contacting me. It's like any sales business where nine times out of 10, it's just people wasting your time and being like, so like, what would it take for you to shave off the rest? Well, if someone bought a custom video of me cutting the rest of my hair off, I definitely do it. Okay. But like, um, would you like do it for not money? No. <laughs> I'm also having lots of like shaved head fetishes contacting me and professing love now. And I'm like, your love means nothing to me. I want your money. (laughs) So uh, may, may I ask how much uh, you needed to make in order to do that or how much, like whatever you're willing to share about that. So I wanted to do it um, just because primarily I do sex work in person, which means I really have to care about what I look like. And As someone who is a natural redhead, I had long hair for a majority of my life. I have never truly felt like I had ownership over my hair, that it wasn't like this community thing. Um, I've only done two big cuts in my life, and both times it was like from my waist to my shoulders, so still keeping pretty long hair. I've had a bob a couple of times. And... I have... There have been times in my life where I was like, I wonder what it would be like if I shaved my head. And... As an in-person sex worker, I can't really follow those aesthetic whims the way some other people can. Like, I I have to really consider that this could tank my business. They, this could not affect it at all. Like, I've died, like, I went um, and had half my hair blonde once, and that didn't really, that didn't affect my, um, my in-person clients. But when I was trying to apply for new porn companies, they were like, well, the hair color makes you alternative, but you don't have any tattoos. Huh. So you don't look alternative enough to appeal to our alternative audience. You're in this kind of weird in-between place that we can't use, so we're not hiring you. Interesting. So, huh. sh- so shaving my head um, was definitely a thing. Even Like even doing a Chelsea cut, because I, um, I was like, I really like my bangs. I want to keep my bangs. And I was like, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to have an opportunity like this again, where it's like, I don't know when the next term I'm going to see in-person clients is. This is dragging out for, possible, for possibly months. I should do this. And then I was like, but if I'm going to do it, I would like to make money off of it because I know that I can make money doing this. And um, I've only had friends who like had very long hair and big porn followings. So they were able to get like $5,000 for shaving their heads. Wow. I don't because I primarily work with in-person, I, I don't have that. But I put it out there and I just let people message me and tell me how much they offered. And I would let them know if they were the high bid or the low bid. Um, and it started out with one guy being like, I'll give you like $70. And I was like, okay, it's more than zero. <laughs> the winner was a gentleman in England who offered me, I can't remember how much it was in pounds, but when I put it through a, um, through a currency converter, it came out to $310. Nice. Okay. <laughs> and, the video, and the video is on my OnlyFans for $10. Let's, okay. Let's plug and the so OnlyFans. The custom- let's plug the OnlyFans up top so people can, hopefully if they started listening, they could start also subscribing and then buying stuff off of the OnlyFans. So let's let's say that up at the top. What's your OnlyFans account link? Uh, OnlyFans.com slash Maggie McMuffin. Boom. Okay. Easy peasy. Um, 
and other custom porns you've done. I think I saw on your social media you did some clown stuff. Did you do some food stuff? Yeah, um, I on my own site with my solo production stuff, all the food things I've done have been mixed with my clown stuff. But I have been trying to find um, more food things. It's weird because like right now I don't want to, I guess, waste food yeah. by not eating it. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, I'm having some struggles with it. I am going to learn how to make a cake though. Cause I'm like, well, if I make the cake and I can just take a piece of it and it's like, I put in the effort. So it feels less wasteful somehow, even though I'm using more <laughs> objects to create it. Sure. <laughs> Yes, well, you're earning a living, so it still is important. It's true. Um, and so the other job that you mentioned that you and wait a minute, you you worked at a, a ranch at one point as well for the in person, right? And did you blog about it or something? Yeah, um, the second time I went, I went for a month about two years ago. That's on my Patreon, which used to get updated daily when I was working there. But I was working at a legal brothel in Wells, Nevada. It's called Bella's Hacienda. Okay. And how was your experience there? Oh. Um, <laughs> I really have a lot of issues with legalized sex work. Uh, just from working in strip clubs, working in legal brothels, uh, seeing how a lot of laws are trying to interfere with porn production. And a lot of legislation is trying to get way too involved um, in order to basically stifle the industry. Oh. Legalization. I constantly say that legalization is a pimp. Yeah. You have to okay. get 50% of your earnings and do things like live in a house that you're never allowed to leave except for certain hours of the day. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, so you're against that you would just like the decriminalization do you want to explain that a little bit for listeners that don't know about this in-depth sort of stuff about sex work yeah so legalization means that there's a lot more regulation and legislation um, around workers um it doesn't really give people more employees rights as uh, strippers are usually independent contractors but they usually get treated like employees Brothel workers are treated as independent contractors. We all have to have our own individual business licenses. We also have to have identification cards. And we are required to get tested, which a lot of people will look at and be like, well, that's a good thing. But a lot of independent sex workers who are working in the illegal market are doing that on their own anyway because they care about their health. Sure. Um, and it's one of those things that's put there because in order to get your testing, you have to put it, you have to like give an ID and stuff. So it affects people who are undocumented. Right. Um, anything, or who just don't have paper, who don't have proper paperwork. Uh, it also means that there's a higher chance of law enforcement to be involved um, because there's more laws involved. And if you look at statistics, most sex workers who have been assaulted have been assaulted by police, by police than they have been by clients. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's not really ideal. Whereas decriminalization is basically, you won't be arrested for this. You just get to, right. you just kind of get to carry on as, as you did before. What has happened with the cannabis industry? That's legalization where it's suddenly there's all these regulations around what products can look like, where stores can be, how many stores can be in a certain neighborhood. That's legalization. 
Sure. Um, what do you think, what, how do you feel about um, it being taxed? Because that's what more, more conservative people, if they're not thinking about the laws, about the properties themselves and that type of thing, it's like, well, you're earning an income and so it should be taxed. Well, a lot of sex workers um, at a certain level are paying taxes anyway, because it it's really hard to move through life, um, through life in this country without paying taxes. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a real hassle to get um, any housing without, without proof of income. And if you aren't getting pay stubs, that's what you have to use. Um, and, but I don't know, it's weird because in Nevada, even though it is a, it's, it's huge. And uh, Bella, the woman who owned the, the house that I worked at, she also owns the only restaurant in that town and she pays so many taxes to that tiny, like 2000 person town. And the town seems to just resent her for it. Weird. And, and she was like, that's kind of how it is. Like we pay taxes, but it just because we're paying taxes, it doesn't erase the stigma. Gotcha. Well, no, I just meant um, in the debate because people that are less familiar with it when I talk to them about SESTA and FOSTA and all those things and why decriminalization versus legalization, um, you know, uh, paying taxes on it is sort of the thing people think of, right? Like, why shouldn't people? Yeah, so that makes sense. But yeah, it certainly doesn't eliminate the stigma. Do you find the stigma affects you a lot in your life? I mean, you're surrounded by lots of artists and all of that, but... Not so much anymore. I have surrounded myself with a lot of artists. I've surrounded myself with a lot of people who, if they are not sex workers or have not been sex workers themselves, they usually have known a handful of them. Um, occasionally, I will like meet people or meet or meet strangers or like run into pe- like just random people online who want to give me shit, and I'm just like, "Fuck you." So the bigger thing where stigma comes into play in in my life. This is because I'm privileged enough to like have the communities that I do mm-hmm. is in bigger things. Like people not under, like when Sesta Fosta was first getting passed, all the sex workers were like, you guys, you need to care about this. And they were like, nah, burlesque isn't sex work. This isn't going to affect us. Right. Yeah. And slowly it's creeped in and now it, it they're seeing it and it's too fucking late <laughs> for sure. Um, and does your family know what you do? Yes. And they're cool with it? Do you um, still have a relationship or it's caused some tension? Of varying degrees. Um, my mother is super supportive. I was um, actually talking to her last week about how, like, obviously I can't see clients right now because of shelter in place and quarantine. And I was like, I mean, I could go see clients, but I'm in a place financially where I don't have to do that. But I also can't be advertising online because there's an issue with a lot of clients doing um, keeping track of workers who are doing that. I was like, so I could do street work, but I don't want to put myself at that risk. And also, like, the people who do have to do that risk, I don't want to, like, be taking up space in those spaces. And my mom's concern wasn't, oh, yeah, you could do street work. You'll definitely get killed. It was, yeah, honey, if you don't need to go out there and get those jobs, you should leave those jobs for the people who need them. Otherwise, Aww. that's just- even more considerate. <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah, my, my mom is ador- is adorably supportive, which is amazing because like she's like my introverted, like shy parent. <laughs> my um, my dad was the first person I told um, when I got my first job at a strip club. 
So he's, he's very supportive of it. Uh, he's always been very adamant that he has no right to judge me for my decisions. My stepmom is the most conservative of my parents. So she's not super into it, but she also doesn't like thinking of me having sex in any way, shape or form. Sure. (laughs) I know that this is a thing about you. And I just don't really know how to talk about it, but that's okay because I can talk to you about other things. Yeah, yeah that's understand. That's kind of my whole family with my burlesque stuff. Like they're <laughs> sort of supportive of it and they're sort of fine with it and they can talk about it peripherally, but they don't really want to like see it or be involved. Or <laughs> they have, but they don't really want to. Yeah. <laughs> my, my mom is um, a little too supportive. It's weird when my mom... When she likes my naked photos, it's weird because my my friends give me shit about it. Like, why is her <laughs> like, mom oh, liking you're so your talented? <laughs> like I love boobies. It's like ma, no. <laughs> are you familiar with Janelle's photography? Yeah, his photos are amazing. Why would his mom not be proud of them? <laughs> Thank you. you guys are kind, but um, you know, speaking of telling your family and friends, how does how did you get into this line? Um, I needed, I needed a job. I was out of college. I had a work study job. So once you graduate, you don't have a job anymore. And I had done a few amateur nights, um, at a local strip club in, um, in Missoula, Montana. There are two strip clubs in that area. And I had gotten naked a ton. I was, I was already doing like nightlife performance. I had been getting, I've been getting naked on stage since I was like 18, 19 years old. And this was around the time that I was 22 and I went and did an amateur night. And it was the first one that I did that wasn't strictly for fun. It was, I need fucking money. And I won and I got offered um, an audition slot at the other club in town because one of their house moms was there to try to poach amateurs. And I auditioned and I got a job and I was dancing like 60, like 60, 70 hours a week um, in Montana. Yeah. Uh, my ass looked great. <laughs> I bet. I bet. You're going to be that strong what again. What did you go to college for? Uh, for theater. I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts from a state school. Okay. Okay. And then why do you do burlesque if you do that, which is so much more profitable? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Because um, I, I can I can get weirder. Um, yeah. Uh, there's, I can get weirder. It's... Um, more of a of an obvious creative outlet there are ways to be creative with stripping there's also ways to just fuck around with stripping and have fun um but i got into burlesque before i got into stripping because i was getting really burnt out by theater school i didn't get along with a lot of the faculty a lot of them were really overbearing and telling us what kind of artists we had to be and so getting a chance to do burlesque which was very self-insulated as you know like you're designing your costume doing your choreography, you're editing your music. And it was really freeing when I first started burlesque to just be working on art that was mine, all mine. Um, But I had only been doing, I hadn't been doing like actual burlesque, not cabaret performance where I'm kind of getting nude for art reasons or like getting naked in in theatrical um, productions. Um, I hadn't been doing it for very long when I became a club stripper. So for me, those things are very entwined um i feel that doing burlesque helped make helped give me a good foundation 
for being a club stripper and then going and becoming a club stripper made my burlesque better. Gotcha. And um, your other job that I know that you do and that you mentioned um, when you were giving your background overview was to teach medical students how to give pelvic exams. Dope. Yeah. Did you know that was a job, Janelle? I didn't even know what a pelvic exam was. So let's start there. How does one That's pelvicize when people? When women put their, their feet in the stirrups and then they use a, a speculum and oh, the specul- old ones you'd like. Why, why are you doing like a full <laughs> Isn't it just like, like that? It goes like, like, old ones like a crank? Weren't the old metal ones like, didn't they have a crank? I bought one for someone at one point and I thought it had a crank on it. No, it has, uh, the metal ones have like a little tiny dial. Oh, no, They're like, you. oh yeah, they do squeeze. They all squeeze. They okay. have like candles. <laughs> I don't know. Fishing girl. I haven't seen one in a while, unfortunately. Um, anyway, uh, tell John L about that. Cause I am familiar with the job. I know a couple of other people that do it, but most people do not know that that's a job. So what does that mean? Um, it means that I and other gynecological te- teaching associates, we go to different schools and we walk and talk medical students through what doing a breast and a pelvic exam is. So that includes um, visual as well as tactile inspection um, inspection and examination of tissue. Um, for the pelvic exam, for people with vaginas, it involves um, looking around, looking between the labia majora and minora, looking at the introitus, checking the urethra, um, palpating some glands really quickly well as doing bimanual exams where you palpate the uterus and the ovaries um, if the patient has those and also inserting a speculum to view the vaginal canal and the cervix. Dope. I figured, yeah. I was like, do you follow all of that? No, I, I do because like, I, I wanted to be a doctor growing up and <laughs> uh, my mom was so pu- you- pushing me to be a ped- pediatrician and obstetrician, like full funnel gotcha. approach. And um, my uh, talking through what an obstetrician would do or an OBGYN would do. And I always thought that do students just practice on each other to do to become that? Or now we have like actual people that will both walk you through and and and, you know, volunteer to make sure that they're doing the correct thing. For some schools, a lot of schools um, will use like these rubber models that don't act anything like a real person, mm-hmm. not just in terms of the fact that they can't go ouch, but they're just like a hole. Yeah. No, I'm assuming <laughs> the, the most important no. part of you guys is feedback in terms of, you know, do that slower. That thing is cold or things like that. So, yeah, this is very yeah, smart. We- yeah, we can give real-time feedback. Um, we also talk to them about language that they should be using, proper ways to touch a patient, um, how they should be laying um, laying their hands on a patient. The really unfortunate thing is because we cost money, a lot of places don't want to utilize workers like me. And what they do instead is they will frequently perform exams on unconscious patients who did not know that they had consented to this when they signed their intake form. Wow. Wow, that is, is wild. 
Yeah, it is luckily becoming more known that that occurs and people are starting to um, fight back against it and um, start being like, hey, if you hand someone like a 20 page document with tons of fine print and you're like, this is about your gallbladder surgery and they're like, yeah, this all seems fine. It it's not really informed consent for them to just assume that there's something in there saying, and while you're asleep, we can have seven medical students put their fingers inside of you. Whoa. Yeah. That's fucked up. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I know a few people who it's, who it's happened to, and they've all been like, it's, it traumatizes you like a sexual assault because it is It is <laughs> not really legally thought of as one, but most things that are sexually assault. Yeah. legally aren't really legally or thought. any kind of assault yeah, <laughs> yeah. how did you get into um, that particular field matter very much hmm? what? How, how did you get into that particular field how did you become a teacher um so i was already a teacher in burlesque and i was already a sex worker when i learned that this was a possibility um i had heard about it from mary sin who is another performer in new york and my girlfriend and she's awesome and she's been doing this she's been doing that job for like six years. And so when I was still living in Seattle, another burlesque performer was like, Hey, I work at um, university of Washington and they need people to come in and university of Washington. It's just like three days out of the year that this happens. Um, is there anyone who would be comfortable with doing that? And I was like, yeah, I'm comfortable with strangers touching my vagina. I can do this. Cool. Yeah. And what's the training process like, like how do you learn to teach that? And, and what do you have to go through? Like, do you have 10 students at a time? Is it one-on-one? -on -one? How does that? Um, for me teaching the students or for me learning how to teach them? Both, like just what's the process for someone? Um, so it depends on the school. At University of Washington, they have a, they used to have the GTAs teach in tandem and so one person would just be the model and provide real-time feedback and the other person would be walking um walking everyone through and also there to be like that is indeed the cervix you found it good job um <laughs> so that was how i learned was by being the model and listening to another person talk and be like this is how you use the speculum this is how you do the bimanual um, for the companies, for the company that I work for here um, on the on the East Coast, they have a very um, they have a more rigorous certification process. I had to do multiple lessons in person and over um, Skype because everyone's scattered around um, learning about um, oh. learning about how to do things. We have a manual. Um, we're given we're given a to learn and memorize. We have to get tests for it multiple times where we have to. Up through the exams that we're doing it and we also do have to perform the exam on another person um it's either a past instruct it's either our instructor or it is another um another student because that's also kind of a way to be like are you actually comfortable with like receiving a speculum from strangers right and did you I follow that channel i again i'm not comfortable with a speculum in me too so no, did you follow what she was saying? I follow it. I follow it. I want to make sure our listeners can understand. <laughs> no, it's it's um we we often forget about all of these odd jobs and um luckily through the episodes that we've done in this podcast, I've learned a couple of both very useful <laughs> and very amazing and very difficult jobs. 
like this one being yeah. being a volunteer to uh up and coming doctors that does uh, very sensitive things to you know people that might be in need and my other favorite one was uh uh one of our friends who apparently there are actual people that will contact uh, other people in case you've uh, contracted a particular set of diseases so that you don't I didn't have... know that. It was ama- I blew my mind. So, you know, quick recap. Tell like, them to get tested. Yeah, quick recap. If, for example, you have contracted HIV that is not of your own fault, like uh, somebody cheated on you or whatnot, uh, you might be also traumatized about that experience. And you might not, but it's important for you to reach out to all of your partners so there's a service that will do that for you more professionally to make sure oh, that everybody so, else uh, are that's so good, right? It's great. So now like yeah. this, um, I would imagine like if if you know if I had a, if I had a wife or I had a mom that will have somebody going up in their business, I want somebody that is very sensitive about the things that they're gonna stick in there, what they need to say to make the people comfortable, <laughs> but also get the damn job done. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Was there something else you wanted to say about it, Maggie? Oh, just uh, you did ask how teaching the students happens. Yes. Um, it's in a group situation. At, U- at University of Washington, I was in Washington this past December, and they were doing it. So I was like, hey, let me do it. I like money. And there were only two, p- stu- two students at a time, which was so different because here on the East Coast, I can teach up to like 20 people a day. Which is- okay. A lot of a lot of speculums, a lot of hands. Um, but usually they come in in a group. An average group is usually three to three to five people. Um, and then usually we'll teach two groups a day. And they so- just and they they all they all take turns. I, I talk them through everything and then they all take turns doing it practically and practically on me. When you say you talk them through it, is that like doing the speculum on yourself does that include that or just um, literally talking them through um talking them through but like using um using my hands if it's anything externally i can use i can show them but my hand will like be flipped in the opposite way from theirs for demonstrating how to use the speculum i demonstrate on my hand which is not perfect because i have to remind the students that uh, the vagina does a lot of the work with with the speculum the pressure of it helps do things so it's actually harder to use the speculum properly like just sticking it between your fingers than it is in an actual vagina gotcha any fun Uh, stories where a student fainted or something like that uh, yes funny stories about students Um, I've never had a fainter, but other people have, um, some students have vomited. Some of the schools that we go, (laughs) often a lot of medical students don't have a lot of sexual experience because they're in medical school. It takes up a lot of time. Um, we also have students who come from, um, who are coming from countries that are very conservative about sex. So they've only really read about, about naked bodies. Um, we also will some. We also teach at a couple of colleges that um, are Orthodox Jewish. So you actually have like a lot of young men who are like, "I'm going to be touching a half naked woman today." 
Ooh. And gotcha. it can be, um, or they might like we have we've had students who like they um, they've had trauma around gynecological exams. So it can be like really triggering for them to see someone getting one over and over again. Um, one time someone just fainted because the exam room was really hot <laughs> and they were like, I'm going to keep on my lab coat so I can look official and feel official. It's like a security blanket. And it just they got overheated and they passed out. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. I cannot imagine doing that as a job. Um, is it something that you do all day, every day, or is it freelance? Like, uh, it's freelance, independent contract work. Um, right now, obviously, everything is everything is canceled, and it sure. depends month to month. Like some months, I'll only have like three days a month that I'm doing this, and then usually November is like the super busy time, and so it'll be like three times a week. Huh. Yeah. So how does all of these jobs, which involve using your body, affect your personal relationships and your relationship with your body? And your body itself. Um, it means that I have to um, I have to have a lot of conversations with my body. Um, days when I've worked a lot, it means like, hey, I probably I, I can't really have sex. Even if I'm feeling sexual, it might be like, oh, I don't want to do this. Or it might be like, I really want to have sex. I guess it's anal today. So, <laughs> which I don't ever seem to get a lot of complaints about. Um, yeah, it, um, it it did suck because there was a there was a long stretch of time this fall where me and Mary were only seeing each were only able to see each other on days when we had been working. And so, even though we spent most of the days together that month, we like weren't having any sex because both of us were just like, my vagina is so <laughs> I just want to do nothing. I just want to lay down and do nothing. Because uh, sitting in the position of being in the footrest and being on the exam table is also really hard on your is also really hard on your back and your hips. Yeah. And speculums um, are. I have again. I have a operated one, but they're not the most pleasant things to be used. they're not the most pleasant but they're not supposed they're not supposed to hurt it's just getting them done repeatedly yeah. but really inserting anything um in a in an awkward sort of first time way is um can do that i mean i can also i've also had like a client that i've seen for a half an hour could be more exhausting than like 16 speculum exams in one day just because it's like you don't know what you're doing with your dick <laughs> Most of us trim don't. your fingernails <laughs> do you compartmentalize what you do with clients versus what you like how does um if you could try to describe to someone who's never had that sort of experience that maybe has a lot of preconceived ideas of it, what it's really like. Are you thinking about what you're going to get at the grocery store or are you present for it? Or you know what I mean? Um, it depends on the client. Um, I've seen some clients who like, I actually do drive with sexually, but um, I always kind of have myself a bit removed because I can't fully focus on myself, even if like it's the once like, needle in the haystack where I'm like, oh, this sex is actually pretty good. If I weren't at work, I'd probably be having a real orgasm. Um, in the same way that like, if you're doing an intimate scene as an actor or a performer, you're living in, you're, ideally as a performer, you want to live in that moment and live it honestly and truthfully. 
-hmm. but you're still thinking the audience can see me. My hand needs to go here. I need to be in my light. My costume needs to come up at this time. So you're not, you're never actually like fully in the moment because you have your work brain going. Gotcha. There's some honesty, but not full on honesty that you get lost in it. Yeah. And when I first started doing sex work, I was like, okay, I can't tell people anything about myself and I have to like come up with a fake identity and all this stuff. And then I learned that most clients assume that you're lying anyway. So it just helps. So I just talk about myself and they're like, oh yeah, that's so interesting. I'm like, you aren't listening to me. (laughs) You don't care. Would you say the majority of your business is one time uh, with a client or repeat business? Um. Here in New York, it's been more like one, it's been more like one time. I've had a couple of regular clients in Seattle. It was primarily like after about a year of doing it, it was like the same six guys would like had their schedule. And then I'd still be getting streams of like one-off guys. Are they all men? For the most part, yeah. And would you say that they, for the most part, are they married men that are unhappy are they single people that can't find anybody or what it's a pretty wide it's a pretty wide swath um I've even had like I've even had like legitimately like ethically non-monogamous people in Seattle come to me because they're like they're like my partner is really busy or like I'm in a long distance relationship right now and I just want to have sex and I just want to have sex with someone and I feel like it would be unethical of me to go on a dating site and talk to someone where feelings might happen. Whereas with you, I know that it's just business. And like, I had a very lovely regular in Seattle who was just really into fisting. And he, and I um, like inherited him from a friend of mine who had been seeing him for 10 years. And then she like, she finally full stop retired and was like, I can't see, she's like, I can't see you anymore as a client, but like, you're really cool. And I did a duo with her and met him and that was her way of like trying to find him someone that she could like hook him up with. And Mm -hmm. every time that I hung out with him, I'm like, I was like, dude, you're like fucking, you're like fucking lovely. And you're not really the sort of person that I would ever date, but I love having him as a client and I love that we can actually like talk about things and we have some, and we have interests in common and we do have like genuine sexual chemistry Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it is interesting that you can have people who are like, oh, no, this is, this is my form of ethical non-monogamy in the same way, um, because normally when that comes up with intersecting with sex work, it's telling couples who are looking for a third to hire someone, which is also a great idea. Um, and that actually brings me to, to your, um, dictus qualifier, right? You had, sorry, I'm getting background noise. I don't know what it is. You had a dick disqualifier about um, couples that were experimenting. Is that right? Yes. Um, so if a couple is like upfront about things, like we're swingers, we want to find someone to have fun with. I don't really mind that. I don't mind when people are honest. It's when I'm on, say, uh, a dating site that's supposed to be exclusively for women or other um, non-male identified ident- gender identities. And I'm like, oh man, this girl is so hot. And you scroll in and you're like, why is this guy in all of her? Fo- oh no, this is a couple's profile. Uh, Trying to trick uh, me. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah. I it's generally the dishonesty do just, of it that you don't like. 
Yeah, it's the dishonesty and them like trying to like trap someone because it just gives off a first impression of not really caring about that third person. They're just not following directions totally. too. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're in a site for this type. Yeah. You don't do some add-ons. I mean, there are other sites for other things like that. Exactly. I had lots of people tell me when I first started internet dating to go on J-Date and I was like, but I'm not Jewish. Why would I go on J-Date? They're like, there's lots of people on there that aren't Jewish. And I it's not that I wouldn't marry a Jewish man, but he probably doesn't want to marry a Jewish woman or a non uh, Gentile if he's on J-Date. Like, that doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. Is- You'd the whole surprised. point of that is to connect Jewish people with other Like, I'm not a farmer. I'm not going to go on <laughs> yes. farmers only. Yeah. I'm not going to go on Christian Mingle. That's, uh, well, exactly. I was put on J-Day, too. You were? Yeah. I used to hang out with a, a cool crew of uh, uh, young uh, Hasidic Jew kids or former Hasidic Jew kids in my old bar. So they oh. usually put other people there. Either because they know other people would like that type, right? Apparently, like okay. Puerto Rican Jew is a big thing. Huh? It's a it, there's apparently a lot of Jewish people in Puerto Rico. So, you know, if you are one of those, it's going to be like highly coveted. So, if you're not a Jewish but you are of that ilk, they still will hit fairly high. Huh? Huh? There's a lot of Brazilian Jewish people, too, which I didn't realize until recently. I did not know that. Um, Yeah. So, Maggie, uh, what does your bag of dicks look like? If And I don't mean your actual bag of dicks, as I'm <laughs> sure you have for your work. But, I mean, if you picture a bag of dicks, please describe it. Well... I am from Seattle, so when I hear the phrase "bag of dicks," there's uh, there's a local chain called Dicks. My favorite place. It's a fast, it's a fast food chain. A local so like, chain of what? A hamburger. Uh, joint. It's like a it's a cheap burger joint. They have like four thing. They have like five things on the menu and three milkshakes, and it's like two dollars for a hamburger. And you just and most of them you have to walk. It's a walk up window situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's actually my favorite answer yet, John L. <laughs> Actual bag of hamburgers. I think I, I think did I send you that photo? I usually go to uh, Dick's whenever I'm in Seattle, so I don't think so, but it's that is spot. by far my favorite answer. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Maggie. I hope to have you back because I know we have a lot more to talk yep. about, but we covered a lot today, and I really appreciate you sharing um, the details about all of your work and being so. Um, open and just frank about it it's really um lovely and i hope people listen to it and understand a little bit more is there anything else you feel like we didn't cover that you think uh you'd want to share with someone who really doesn't know any sex workers not really (laughs) they're people too okay I don't know. It's, it's it's just so broad that when that i'm just like obviously drawing a blank now well, I'm sure, sure I'm sorry. <laughs> if if uh, you know, even me, I've learned so many things about not only you, uh, but also the professions that kind of tangential to your experience that is, you know, very, very unique. Like, I, I really enjoy that, um, that being a teacher for these young doctors that uh, will need that caring touch, but also need to fix, fix people's junk. Like it's very important. This. When you said caring touch, I saw this in my <laughs> <laughs> Well, 
if anyone else has any more questions for Maggie um, or follow-ups to this, please do email us at paradeofdicks at gmail.com. You can follow John L at... At Eljong, E-L underscore J-O-N-G. Do not forget OnlyFans.com slash Maggie McMuffin. Subscribe. Yes, and he will put all of your other things. Is there anything else you want to plug besides that? Um, no, it's it's not like I've got a lot of shows <laughs> happening. <laughs> but um, Well, you can definitely follow her on social media to find out when we do reopen. And I have my brand new website up at lucybuttons.com. You have something else, Janelle? No, I was just going to say, you know, follow Maggie so you can see the Chelsea cut. Um, you know, uh, and once... Uh, once everything is open again, uh, find her in all of her usual haunts. Is it Seattle, Oakland, New York? I'm everywhere and nowhere. Yeah, anywhere else? Where else do you live? <laughs> Time and space. Um, Betsy Propane gave me a standing offer in New Orleans, so I might start coming down to New Orleans for it. There you go. Fabulous. Well, enjoy it. Enjoy your time in Oakland, and I hope to see you soon back here when everything comes back to normal. Yeah, we got to celebrate your birthday properly. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll reopen and we can have some fun. Yeah, it was the we'll bonus, I had to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Maggie, for making the time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a good night, you too. We got the ball. Got to deal with it. We got the ball. Got to deal with it. We got the ball.